Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast and our ongoing study on adding to your faith. If you have your Bible handy, turn with us over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And tonight we're going to be finishing up our series where we've been considering verses 5 through 11. And my name is Brian. Along with me is the co-host Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? Hey, doing quite well. Yeah, we've uh, covered a whole lot of ground. It's uh, been several uh, lessons and looking forward to this one as we kind of wrap things up and put a nice little bow on it. Yeah, it's been such a good series. And along with us is the man who's been running the series, so to speak, or teaching it, I should say, and that's Alan Hitchin. Alan, uh, so happy that you have stuck with us all these episodes to uh, to teach a very important set of lessons here. Well, I really appreciate that. As I've mentioned so many times now, this is one of my favorite passages, and I just never get tired of studying it myself. Uh, it's just such a, a vibrant and powerful section, and and this is actually my favorite class, the last class. It's, it's kind of like we've put together a wonderful feast here, and we've made all of the wonderful different dishes that have to that that go into this and tonight we're going to be actually sitting down and looking at what we can receive once we have these seven things so it's just a as i say it's a spiritual feast yeah it certainly has been and it you know spiritual growth is so critical and and i agree with you this is just a wonderful set of passages here that teach us so much and for instance you know we in our very first episode, you kind of did an overall introduction and how talked about, you know, how important it was for Peter to stir them up as in the brethren there by way of reminder. And then we, we started looking at these different spiritual qualities that we wanted to add to our faith. And so we talked, for instance, about virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness. And then last week, Alan, we took a look at love and specifically agape love. And you spent quite a bit of time helping us to understand the difference between worldly love and godly love, which is divine love. And, and a love that, as you mentioned last week, really has to be illustrated because it's difficult for us to even comprehend it, seeing we really had no frame of reference until Christ came to the earth and through his very life personified, right? It, it exemplified, if you will, that spiritual quality of agape love. So can you talk a little bit about what you covered last week, and then we'll get into this this episode? Sure. Uh, as I mentioned, we were all created in the divine image. God said in Genesis chapter 1 that, let us make man in our image and likeness. But sadly, when sin entered the world, that image was marred, and we started to forget and we started to change. And it's amazing how quickly man changed from being like God. God is love. He is always acting in the best interests of the angels. He's always acting in the best interests of, of the Word and the Holy Spirit. He's always acting in the best interest for us. He never, ever does anything out of selfishness or, or to use us for his own ends. It's always for our best interest. Well, a lot of us have forgotten that. A lot of us have not realized that this is a fundamental part of the divine nature. And if God is love, we too should be love. 
And so with the entire nature of the scriptures, you remember Paul saying in 1 Corinthians that now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And Jesus reminding us that the entire Old Testament law hangs on the law, excuse me, hangs on this love, these first two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's really important uh, for us, if we want to become like God and we want to understand God better, that we begin to study this. And, and I'd like to encourage the readers to read First John, because John deals with this a lot. He, he talks a lot about this agape love. You know, Alan, in our very first lesson, when we started talking about these spiritual qualities and why they were so important, you uh, had emphasized the fact that Peter had great concern that these spiritual qualities be added to their faith, that they be reminded of some of the spiritual principles they had been taught previously. Can you talk a little bit about why Peter was so concerned that they remember these things, why he took the time to really emphasize this uh, in, in what he wrote? Sure. Yeah, this is a very, very fascinating section of Scripture. I think most of us remember at the end of the Gospel of John, uh, Peter is told by Jesus that he would be dying a violent death and that that death was going to be in such a way that they would take him where he did not want to go. And, and he actually refers to that in verse 14 when he says, I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. So in a sense, this is like, uh, I'm getting ready to die. What's the most important thing that I can leave with the Christians? What's the most important thing that I can? And he says three different times in verses 12 through 15 that I want you to be reminded of these things. I want you to remember these things. And after I'm dead, uh, I want you to be care. Or Peter says, I'm going to be careful so that you will always be remembering these things after my death. So here's Peter. He's been dead now almost uh, maybe 1950 years. He's been dead a long time. And yet here we are still remembering what Peter said was important. And so it's, it's just a, it's a very interesting connection here between Jesus' prophecy about Peter's death and his realization that it's coming soon and wanting to leave these vital thoughts with the brethren that he loves so much. Yeah, I'm kind of looking at the passage here, Second Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 15, at, at least in the New King James. It says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, and I think it right, as long as I am as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that surely I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Yeah, you know, and hopefully our listeners, you know, have gained an appreciation that uh, Peter really did indeed feel a, a great urgency and a need not only for his audience or his immediate audience to remember those things, but us as well. Uh, can you potentially, Alan, remind our listeners why Peter thought this was so important? Yes. Uh, Peter, th this section that starts in verse 2 and carries us through 11, which is when he starts with what we just finished talking about, uh, 
he covers some a huge amount of ground as far as the gospel is concerned. Matter of fact, I think we could honestly say that the entire Bible is covered in this section because he starts in verse 3 reminding us that it was God's divine power that has brought the gospel to us, has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so we look at the divine power that God had in, in creating the Old Testament scriptures and in giving us the prophecies as God knew they were needing, needed to be given and preparing for this wonderful time when his son would die on the cross and we would receive the wonderful blessings. And so, first of all, Peter wants us to understand that just like his divine power has given us all things, now our human power needs to give him what we have the capability to give back. And so in verses uh, 3 and 4, Peter deals with God's divine power, his grace, his mercy, the blood of Christ, the church, everything that God set in place, the high priesthood, all of the amazing things that God has already done for us, even before we even knew there was a gospel, God had already done all of these things. And then, just in case we aren't motivated enough, if it's not enough for us to realize how much God wants us to be saved and how much effort he put into it, in verse 4, he talks about the exceedingly great and precious promises that have been given to us. You know, as Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter 3, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection, which Paul describes in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, just an amazing promise that our body will be sown in corruption, but it's going to be raised incorruptible and with great glory. And so we have these exceedingly great promises. And then one of those great and exceedingly great promises is that once again, we can become partakers of the divine nature. Now, that's why I was talking about agape love in that way. We were created in his image and likeness. We, to the degree that we got caught up into sin, we have marred that image. But the gospel has the power to remove the damage that sin has done and give us the opportunity to think like God, to feel like God, to act like God, and to prepare to meet God in a way that will be beneficial to us because we are properly uh, prepared. So, Alan, I remember you telling the listeners that after Peter explained these wonderful truths, uh, about God's part in our salvation, that he also revealed that there is a fellowship with God and man, and that man also has a part. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is one of the most interesting elements of grace. You know, most of us, if we do something nice to someone, we want to do it all so that they will feel so much gratitude, and we don't want to give them a part in it, because if we give them a part in it, they might not realize what our part was. But God's just the opposite. God's grace is so amazing that he actually gives us the opportunity to be a part in our salvation. And sadly, this is one of the things that a lot of Christians miss. They want, they want to be saved by faith or faith alone, and they miss out on this wonderful adventure of working with God, 
of having a fellowship with God, joint participation. I often illustrate fellowship with if we want to move something that's too heavy for one person to move or too big and bulky, but with two people in fellowship with each other, one holding up one end, one holding up the other end, well, that's what the gospel is. God's holding up his end. Of course, he's carrying 99% of the weight, but he says, I want you to carry a little bit. And so in verse 5, he says, because of all that God has done for us, we need to add on our part. So, and, and this is a, a, one of the Greek words in there, which, which has the idea of God has done almost everything. 99.9% of everything that we need to have done to be saved. But he left that 0.1% for us to do. And he told us, that is so important to me that if you don't do it, you're going to miss out. But if you do it, I'll be able to bless you more. And that, so that's the direction. This is the pivotal point. We, we see in verses uh, 3 and 4 what God has done. And now, starting in verse 5 and going through verse 8, he tells us what we can now do. Well, and Alan, as you were talking, I was kind of reminded of, as you were saying earlier, the concept of faith only or once saved, always saved. And I can potentially hear our listeners saying, well, okay, if, if we're adding anything that we might do, well, that's like a work. And, you know, passage, I think over in Ephesians, you know, not of works, for instance. Um, would you care to comment on that briefly before we actually get into the uh, things that God wants us to add? Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking about works of merit or works that would earn us something. And of course, the gospel is very clear. Once we sinned, there's nothing we could do. We could we could fast and sacrifice and and do everything that could possibly be done, but it wouldn't matter without the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is the only reason we're going to be saved. But then you come to the to the question and James focuses on this in the second chapter when he says if you don't if your faith doesn't have any works is it really faith? And of course you go to Hebrews 11 and by faith Noah built the ark and by faith Abraham left his country and by faith Moses refused to become the refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter there's always a fellowship when God reveals himself to us it's always with the intention of getting us to play a part in this and we're going to see this a little bit later after we talk about this barren and unfruitful that in the parable of the talents and in the uh, description of him being the vine and us being the branches, he says, God is glorified when you bear much fruit. And he also says that uh, to the two people in the parable of the talents, well done, good and faithful servant, you've been faithful. So God has left part of it for us to do. He's allowed us to be involved in evangelism. He's, invo he's allowed us to be involved in worship. He's allowed us to be involved in the financial uh, strength of the kingdom by our giving. And so uh, although our part is relatively insignificant, God has made it the crucial part. And I've often illustrated it with electricity. Uh, man has done so many things to get electricity to our home. 
but the switch has to be flipped. If you sit if you sit in your house and you say I, I I'm not going to turn on the switch because I expect everything to be done for me. Well, you'll always be in the dark. And sadly, when Christians do not seize the opportunity to grow and develop and to become a useful servant in God's eternal kingdom, it's just so sad. This is one of the downsides of these these errors of once saved, always saved, and and there are no works for Christians to do. There certainly are works. Uh, Paul made it very clear in Titus, in three different verses, let our people be uh, diligent in doing their good works. So God wants us to grow to become like him. Well, and I think if I remember right, even in the uh, Ephesians uh, context, uh, Christians are supposed to be you know, created unto good works. In the very same passage, it talks about uh, you know, God's grace. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. The grace of God has appeared teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And so there are things God wants us to do. Uh, you look at the Apostle Paul and you marvel at how quickly he changed from a terrible persecutor, an evil person who didn't have any love or care or concern at all for Christians, into one of the greatest servants that God uh, has had. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, follow my example as you have us for a pattern. So Paul's efforts and all the apostles' efforts are were vital. We wouldn't have the New Testament if the apostles hadn't done their part. Well, they weren't, they didn't do anything except allow the Holy Spirit to use their mouth and to use their hand to write the information. But if they had refused to speak, or if they had refused to write, then uh, God would have had to find somebody else. And that's that's the problem. God has plans for us, but if we don't develop ourselves, he'll have to find somebody else to, to, to be able to do it. Yeah, that's a good point. It was uh, Ephesians 2.10 that I was trying to think of a few moments right. ago for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which some people think is a bad word, <laughs> which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right. And these seven things are some of those good works that God prepared for us to walk in. Well, and that's a good point because that kind of takes us up to Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 5, where, you know, Peter sort of kicks it off by saying, you know, giving all diligence. And then he, you know, lists the seven. Um, and I think early on in our study, you said these are not just in random order. There seems to be a somewhat of a logical progression. Would you care to comment on that one? Yeah, and I think our listeners, having heard these seven points, are really in a, and hopefully they've already started the work. Hopefully they've already started adding virtue and knowledge and and taking these things one at a time and i think they've already seen how the at least the first five are stair steps or ladder steps in other words we're climbing higher and higher so we we want to gain this virtue which really is motivation it's just the excitement of a challenge and as paul said in first corinthians chapter 9 uh, those who run in a race everyone runs but only one reads, receives the prize 
And then he says, we need to run in such a way so we can receive. Well, that's virtue. Virtue means I want to be the best. I want to put, I want to, I want to show God that all that I have is for him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Or in the parable of the treasure, uh, he sells all that he has to buy that field. And so everything that I thought was important before I became a Christian is now channeled into becoming the best Christian I can possibly be. And with that motivation, the first thing I need is knowledge. I need to know what I need to do. I need to know what God expects of me. And so the scriptures are wide open. Uh, in Romans 15:4, he says the entire Old Testament was written for our learning so that through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. What a, what a wonderful promise there. And of course, with the virtue and the knowledge, we begin to we get begin to realize that there are things in our lives that shouldn't be there, and so we need that self-control. So we move from motivation to information to the ability to apply our motivation and information to start growing. So we start putting to death the things that are that are evil. We stop using bad language. We stop using tobacco or alcohol. We stop uh, looking at women to lust after them or to dress immodestly. We stop being the kind of worldly people we were to become the godly people that God wants us to be. And, and there's two steps in that. First of all, we need to have perseverance because this is not an easy, this is not an easy task. You know, somebody wants to run a marathon. They, they, it sounds good in practice, but the application often leads to exhaustion, often leads to pain and, and maybe even injuries. But the person who perseveres, the person who keeps going, is going to reach that goal. And so in the parable of the sower, Jesus describes people who are going to be persecuted or, trib or suffer tribulation, and some of them are going to fall because they don't have patience. Then he speaks of those who, as life goes on, they start to get distracted. Uh, they get a new job. They, they get married, start having children. They start realizing that there are important things in this life as well. And they need that perseverance or the word can be choked out or, or they can actually fall. And so these four things bring us to the fifth one, which is godliness. And of course, godliness is the realization that God is a God of love and mercy and compassion, and I want to be like him. I want him to be pleased with me. I want him in my thoughts. I don't want a day to go by where I'm not thinking of him. Paul said we could pray without ceasing, and so that's part of godliness is just the realization that he's always there, and he wants us to talk to him. He wants us when we're in temptation, he wants us to pray. When we are grateful, he wants us to thank him. When we are, when we are in awe of something he's done, we want, he wants us to praise him. And so godliness is kind of a summation of all of our love and devotion that comes out in our worship, it comes out in our prayers, it comes out in our feelings of wanting to be God's friend. I, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that Abraham was the friend of God. And of course, all of us want God to be our, our friend. We want him to be there for us, but do we want to be there for him? And that's what godliness encompasses. And then verse six, or excuse me, the sixth one is brotherly kindness, which again, like love, is a, is a broad category because God wants us to see 
all the Christians, all over the world, throughout all time. Uh, it, since the beginning, and even before Christianity, he wants us to see those people uh, as our ancestors and as our fathers. So he tells us in Galatians 3, after we're baptized, we become Abraham's seed. And Abraham's our father, which means that uh, all of the people, Moses, Isaiah, Elijah, they're our family. And we need to develop a tie with them, not just a tie of knowledge and understanding, but a tie of brotherly love and brotherly affection and, and a realization. Uh, Hebrews 12 points it out that there are a great cloud of witnesses. There are ancestors who are cheering us on and wanting us to do well. And so we look at that and we, we grow to understand that these people in the world today who have been baptized, we, we owe them a special love and care and consideration and, and we want to be helpful to them. Jesus made the point. He said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous say, Lord, when did we ever do that for you? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of my brethren, you have done it to me. And of course, in Hebrews chapter 3, Paul describes that, that, or excuse me, the Hebrew writer describes the fact that we are brothers and sisters to Christ. And then, of course, that finally leads us into the greatest of all, and that's this agape love, which we've already just reviewed, so I don't feel the need to really go too much into that. But I wanted to kind of give us the, the listeners an overview. And as I say, I think we definitely have a stair step here, but we also have the nature of a garden. And so we have these seven things are, are like us having seven plots in our garden that we are working and trying to develop into a harvest. And these seven things can become that harvest. And that leads us into the section that we want to talk about this evening. And I realize our review was rather long, but I felt like since this is our last class together, our last podcast, that we should at least give everyone this one final overview, and, and hopefully it'll motivate all of us to go back and keep learning these things and learning these things, because when Peter finally gets to the blessings, the benefits, and the loss that we will incur if we don't have these things, and so verses 8 through uh, 11 are some of the most precious promises that God can give can give us based on our own efforts. And like I said, when, when we stand before God, and we'll, we'll see this in just a few moments, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful. Well, doing adding these seven things to our faith is one of the greatest steps to doing that. So, uh, Brian, would you like to read that for us this evening? Uh, I think that uh, our listeners would be benefited by just hearing the entire section, verses uh, 8 through 11. Yes, uh, 2 Peter 1, verses 8 through 11. For if these things are yours and abound, you will, neither, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here we see a lot of new vocabulary words. We see the word barren. We see the word unfruitful. We see the words calling and election and stumbling. And so all of these things are so crucial. And I, I know I use a lot of superlatives in, in our discussion, but some things are just uh, so important that you try to come up with a vocabulary. And, and uh, these things, though, are, are just so marvelous. They are such wonderful promises that, that God will bless us. Uh, you know, it's just like the farmer. The farmer goes out, he buys a seed, he buys a fertilizer, he works the soil. And he prepares everything, realizing that it's God who's going to give the increase. It's God who's going to bring the harvest. And yet, without his efforts, there can't be a harvest. So, in these uh, wonderful promises, God is trying to motivate us, just like the farmer. The farmer knows that the more he buy, the more seed he buys, the more fertilized he. And, and the more field he cultivates, the greater the harvest. And that's really, I think, what God is emphasizing here, is that if we want a great harvest, God has given us the seed. Now, of course, the, the entire seed is the word of God. But each one of these things, virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, they're like seeds. And the more effort we work cultivating our heart and breaking it up and and adding and growing and putting away and putting on, it's just going to bring such tremendous rewards. And so we want to spend the, the rest of the podcast just looking at these wonderful promises and warnings. There's, there's, there's kind of a mixture here of, of promises and warning. Yeah, and Alan, there seems to be you know two important points here. First, by adding these things, we you know these spiritual qualities by adding these spiritual qualities we really prepare ourselves to become more fruitful and to do the work god wants us to do so earlier jeff referenced you know ephesians 2:10 right we're told that we were created uh, in christ jesus for good works right that god prepared beforehand so uh, that seems to be first but it also seems that you know that the effort in adding these spiritual qualities is also a part of it. It reminds me of uh, the warning from Jesus in the parable of the talents. Um, can you briefly summarize Jesus's warnings about this? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Uh, and it's something that all of our listeners need to realize is that God sees the church like a mansion. He sees the brethren in the church as the vessels in that mansion. Jeff, would you like to read uh, 2 Timothy 2, verses uh, 20 and through 21? And then we'll talk, comment a little bit about on this, and then we'll move on to the uh, parable of the talents. Sure. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone purges himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So this brings the contrast. Uh, Paul talks here about cleansing ourselves from the latter. But if we plug in what Peter says here, 
about making our calling and election sure and about never stumbling and about having our entrance into the eternal kingdom supplied to us, we see that these are preparatory things. If I want to be gold and silver in the eyes of God, then if I add these seven things to my faith, that already qualifies me just by working on these things. In other words, if I never did anything else, if, if, if God didn't see an ark that needed to be built by me, or if God didn't see uh, uh, any of the wonderful things that all these people did, you see Daniel lifted from obscurity. We, sh- we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before the fiery furnace. And, and we marvel and we, we look upon them with great admiration. But Peter's emphasizing here that just working on these seven things, in and alone, in and of themselves, they will make us to be uh, all of the things that God wants us to be here, all of the things that that God has necessary. So I can't be barren and and unfruitful even if I never did anything else but add these seven things to my faith, God would say on the judgment day, well done, good and faithful servant. However, by adding these seven things to our faith, if God does have a need in my part of the world, if God does see I need this task to be done, and this Christian who has added these seven things to their faith so diligently is the perfect person to send in to do these things. And Peter also uh, emphasizes this, and I think that the parable of the talents is a part of what Peter is emphasizing here, because I think our readers remember, and I don't think we have time to read the entire section, but Matthew 25, verses 14 through, uh, through 21 is a very important passage to read in conjunction with Peter saying we won't be idle or unfruitful. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven is just like someone traveling to a far country and leaving his servants to trade and make gain with his goods. And that's exactly what the Lord has done. Uh, The Lord has given us the gospel. Jesus has gone to heaven but the work that needs to be done is done by his people. He trusts us. He's placed us into this position of honor. And so by preparing myself, like I say, it's like a harvest. If you don't prepare the ground, you have nowhere to put your seed. And if you don't, after you prepare the ground, plant the seed and fertilize the seed and weed the weeding out of the things that, in the, that are in the soil that shouldn't be there, you're not going to get a harvest. And if you don't add these seven things to your faith, then you're going to be unfruitful. In other words, you're, you're going to be barren. You're not going to have any works. You're not going to have any fruit. And that even takes us into another wonderful, powerful concept. And that's in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, where Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Now, a vine dresser is a person who uh, comes along, prunes out the branches that are not producing the grapes, makes sure that the grape vines are being protected. And so this is what the father does. 
And so in verse two, he explains, if I'm, if Peter says, I won't be unfruitful if I add these seven things to my faith. But look at what Jesus says in verse two, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. In other words, he prunes it away. I don't want to be fruitless. If I'm fruitless, then the Lord says, I'm going to prune you out. I'm not going to allow you to stay in my kingdom. And that's a very serious threat that is being made here. And Jesus wants us to understand that we need to bear fruit. Without fruit, God is not glorified. Without fruit, we have no real uh, value to the Lord because that's why he created us. He created us to work with him. He created us to have a fellowship with him. And so, as I said earlier, if God needs an ark to be built, he's going to have to find a man to do it. And in Noah's day, that was Noah. But what about today? Maybe it won't be an ark. Maybe it'll be somebody down the road who needs to hear the gospel. Maybe it will be somebody who needs encouragement. And he's counting on us. And with these seven things, we can go out and do the work that needs to be done, and God can have confidence in us, and that's where we become the wonderful gold that he promises to become. You know, in the context of John 15 that you mentioned just a few moments ago about being, you know, cast off, you know, as a branch or pruned off as a branch, you know, in some ways coming back to Second Peter, he makes this almost the very same uh, point so to speak you know know, he he lays the groundwork as you said back in verse 8 where it talks about uh not being barren or unfruitful but doesn't he then just pick up the same thought in verse 9 and give us give us the negative side yes absolutely uh paul makes a fascinating point in second corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 through 18 but for our purposes in the in the podcast this evening Brian, why don't you just read verse 19 or verse 18 for us? Here it says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And, and here's the interesting connection. Peter says, if you lack these things, you're going to be short-sighted even to blindness. In other words, you're going to miss the, the eternal things. The things that are not seen can only be seen by adding these seven things to our faith. The things that are not seen, which are eternal, they are, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know. Well, the word enlightened means lit up with so that you can see it. So there's, there are eternal realities that the world is completely unaware of. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 3, after it says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it continues by saying that the light came into the darkness and the darkness refused to receive it and hated it. And so the eternal realities in the scriptures can only be seen by those people who add these seven things to our faith. Think about it. How can you see the eternal realities without knowledge? And how can you understand the knowledge without self-control and perseverance? And how can you see the eternal nature of God without godliness? And how can we see the wonderful value of our heritage and our ancestors without brotherly kindness 
And again, how can we see the love of God if we don't add love ourselves? You can't understand something. Uh, if someone has never taken trigonometry and we talk about sines, cosines, and tangents, and the person says, I don't have a clue what those things well, when we get into the scriptures and we talk about the love of God and the compassion and mercy of God, only those who have added these seven things have the what we would call prerequisites. If you want to take certain college courses, there's other courses you have to take before you can take those courses, and they're called prerequisites because the teachers know if you start with this, you're, you're going to flounder. You're not going to be able to see it because you don't have the background. You don't have the foundation. Well, these seven things are the foundation. With these seven things, we will see the eternal realities of life that other people can't see. So when we, when we talk about the value of these seven things, first of all, we're going to be busy and productive. And secondly, we're going to see clearly what needs to be seen and understand it. Alan, we know that Paul told the Thessalonians that they were called through the gospel. Could you help our listeners understand the nature of this call and election? Sure. Yeah, and that's Peter's next point. Uh, Jeff, would you like to read verse 10 for us so that we can kind of lay the foundation for it? Sure. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, these are two vocabulary words that are used throughout the scriptures. Matter of fact, maybe our listeners don't realize it, but the name church in the original language means the called out. This word call is the Greek word klesia, and the church is the ekklesia, or the ekklesia, the called out. Well, there can't be a calling out without a call, and the call is the gospel. So when God uh, calls to us <clears throat> to come out and receive salvation, as Jesus said in, in Matthew 11, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's why it's the good news. That's why the gospel, which means the good news. And so it, it, Jesus made an interesting point. He was told, he was asked a question before he died, Lord, are there many who are saved? And Jesus says, strive to enter into the narrow gate, for many will try to enter, but will not be able. And then he concludes with, many are called, but few are chosen. And I think he's alluding to something he said in the parable of the dragnet, when he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. And of course, a dragnet is a net that has weights on the bottom and floats on the top, and as it goes through the water, it picks up everything. It'll pick up bottles, it'll pick up trash, it'll pick up all the fish that are there. And then Jesus says, uh, the fishermen will go through and throw out all of the things that have no value. And then Jesus makes the application. So it will be in the end of the age. When those who made their call an election sure or stable or steadfast. The word sure here is what we do when we're building a fence. When you're building a fence, the key to the fence are the fence posts. And the key to the fence posts are how we secure them to the ground. If we don't properly secure those fence posts, the first time a wind comes along, it's going to blow the whole fence over. 
So we have to spend time. Uh, some people use cement or concrete. Other people use sand or gravel. And they, they use some form of a hammer or some form of a, a tool that will compress that. And so these seven things work just like that. They will make certain that we will be called and chosen. And so the word election is a word that's used a lot by the denominations. So yeah, Alan, you know, one of the uh, popular tenets that we see in all of the denominations are the tenets of Calvinism and, you know, which teaches that God decided beforehand who would be saved and the very few you know, that you were just talking about that would be saved would because would be because God only selected just a few who would be saved, those who they call the elect. But they're really misunderstanding the term election here, right? And what, what this is teaching us through Peter. Yes, that is a, an excellent point. The word election in the scriptures is used exactly the same way that we use it today. In America, we have a democracy and we vote and the person who gets the most votes is elected and so when we look at the scriptures we know that god is voting for everyone we're told in second timothy chapter 2 that god desires all men to be saved so if god desires all men to be saved then john calvin was wrong back in the 1500s when he said that God only chose a few. Why would he only choose a few if he wants all? And so the reason that not everyone comes is not because of God. God is voting for everyone. He wants all men to be saved. In 2 Peter chapter uh, 3, uh, I think about verse 8, 7 or 8, Peter says that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we see very clearly God is voting for everyone. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son because he wants all men to be saved and come to the truth. And so the gospel has been given to us to cast the final vote. You and I get to cast the vote. God's voting for everyone, but there won't be an election unless I cast my vote too. And so, as a Christian, the obedience to the gospel is my vote or my affirmation that God wants me to be saved and I want to be saved. God has called me and therefore I want to follow his calling. You know, Paul made an interesting point about our calling in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it's a passage that has always fascinated me because it says some things that we wouldn't normally think about. And that is that God put things into the gospel to draw the faithful, but to push away the proud and the arrogant and the mighty who would come into the church and create so much trouble for the brethren who have a humble walk with God. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, you see your calling, brethren, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble, because God chose foolish things. Uh, we, we wonder, what, what foolish things are we talking about? Well, he's already told that we preach Christ crucified 
to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. You serve a crucified king? You're telling us that somebody who was crucified and died is now sitting at the right hand of God? That's the most foolish thing we've ever heard. But to us, it's the power of God unto salvation because we understand that God loved us and he was willing to allow his son to die so that we could be saved, but then brought him to his right hand to reign as our high priest. And so God did these things. And Peter says that these seven things are intimately tied to that. That God's voting for all of us, but if we want to cast a deciding vote, if we want to make our elections sure that God wants us to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, but in order to come to the knowledge of the truth, we need to add these seven things. We've got to have this motivation of virtue. We've got to have the knowledge that of the scriptures. We've got to have the self-control and the perseverance to keep doing these things and the godliness and the brotherly kindness and love to be uh, able to see clearly. And so the calling occurs when we first hear the gospel and we obey the gospel. But until we add these seven things to our faith, that calling is not yet stable. Because as Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. And And then in Matthew, he added this, uh, the way that leads to life is straightened and narrow. So strive to enter the narrow gate and strive to stay on the narrow path so that you can enter into life. And he concludes with, few are they that find it. Well, these seven things will give me the eyesight to stay on the path. These seven things will make the call that God has given to me absolutely stable, just like that fence post. And he will make the election, which God is voting for all of us, but we cast the final vote. But the final vote is not just cast one time. When I'm baptized, I certainly have cast my final vote. I have placed myself to become one of God's elect or one one of God's chosen. But in order to keep that to the very end, in order to make that stable, remember Peter's going to or Peter's already said in 1 Peter 5:8, the devil as a roaring lion is going about seeking whom he may devour. Well, I've got to build a fence and I've got to get a weapon and these seven things they are my fence and they are my weapon. So When we talk about calling, we're talking about the church, the ecclesia, the called out, the people, as Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that God called you through the preaching of the gospel. And when we obeyed the gospel, we became the called out. And that makes us the ecclesia or the church. And so the church of Christ is made up of people who have been called out of darkness. But in order to make that stable, we have to add these seven things to our faith. Well, I think a few moments ago, you happened, I think, to touch on Ephesians chapter one, roughly around verse four, where you know, it talks about God choosing us. And I know that confuses some people because they think that's a personal choice. You know, Bill, yes. Mary, no. Bob, yes. Sue, no, et cetera. But I think as you're pointing out, it's, it's not choosing individuals. It's a, kind of like a different kind of choice. Would that be fair? Yeah, that that's exactly right. It's just like a farmer. The farmer decides, this year I'm going to grow maize, or this year I'm going to grow soy, 
or I'm going to grow cassava, or I'm going to grow tomatoes. Well, if I make that decision, then I go to the market to look for the right seed. And there's certain seed that I'm looking for. If I'm growing maize, if I'm growing soya, if I'm growing tomatoes, well, there's certain seed that I need. Well, God has done exactly the same thing. He knows the fruit that he wants, and so he created the seed that would create that fruit. So God crafted the gospel to call the people that he loves and he wants to be with him in heaven, and that begins with everyone. But he has created the gospel to weed out the parts of the, of the human race who are not interested in loving him, who are not interested in serving him. And so back in eternity, God saw the entire uh, history of the world. He saw how man would reject him, and he saw how man would be proud and arrogant. And so he crafted the gospel in such a way that it would become a seed that would produce amazing fruit, but at the same time, many people who are farmers are not interested in that seed. They want another seed. They want to grow a different fruit. They want to grow the fruits of sin or the fruits of wealth or the fruits of power. And the Christian bypasses all of that by adding these seven things to his faith. He wants the fruits of eternal life. And so an excellent point, Jeff. God, God has just done everything he can for us. But the last part is adding these seven things to our faith. And, th and that's where we, we really have to look at things. You know, it's interesting, Alan. I was thinking about Colossians chapter 1 as you were going through the, your remarks tonight. And, of course, Paul talked about praying for that church, that they might be filled in Colossians 1 verse 9. He says that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So, of course, you know, we're talking about that, right, as Christians. Oftentimes when there are those that are what we call newborn babes in Christ, the one of the critical elements is, is growing in knowledge and in wisdom and in spiritual understanding. Paul goes on in, in verse 10 of Colossians 1 to say that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And so and let's face it, when we put on Christ in baptism, we're really making a commitment to be fully pleasing to God. And of course, walking worthy would be walking righteously. Then he goes on to say, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, you know, we see in many places where Paul in his letters, of course, the Holy Spirit through Paul, really emphasizing that we need to grow in wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we might we, we should desire to walk worthy of the Lord, be fully pleasing to him. And we only really do that through, right, increasing the knowledge, putting it into practice, and, and so forth. Exactly. And what Paul describes as a global thing, Peter describes step by step. Paul talks about the destination, but he doesn't give, well, actually he does. The rest of the book is an explanation of how we get to where uh, we have all of those wonderful qualities where we are pleasing to God. Peter gives us the steps that we start with our faith, because without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing to him, and then we add to our faith, and 
as we go, we become spiritually mature, we begin to see things we've never seen before, and we become very well-pleasing to the Lord because we are following the exact steps that He left behind, and we are becoming that wonderful plant, producing that wonderful fruit that He had intended for us to develop. And that brings us to the, the last two points that Peter makes in these wonderful promises. And the first one is that we'll never stumble. And the stumbling that he's describing here is the stumbling that leads one to break a bone or even break their neck. This is a terrible stumbling. This is when you stumble over something and you are gravely injured or even die. And spiritually, these stumblings are primarily falling into sin or falling into uh, disbelief or allowing the cares of the world. Or as Paul says, those who reach after money, who desire to be rich, pierce themselves through with many sorrows. They drown in destruction and misery. And these seven qualities will keep that from happening. They will keep me from stumbling. And they will protect me. If I do stumble, they will allow me to quickly get back up and keep going. So our eternal destiny now is based on adding these seven things to our faith. If we do these seven things, we have God's promise, you will definitely make it into heaven. And if you don't add these seven things to the degree that God has described here, then ultimately along the way, Satan will find a way for you to stumble. And of course, this stumbling will lead to what the Bible calls falling away, which means you you stumble and fall out of God's grace. You fall out of God's wonderful church and you are going to lose all of the wonderful blessings that God had promised. And we see this a lot. Uh, In Hebrews, it talks about the rain drinking in, the soil drinking in the rain and producing wonderful fruit. But he also says if it bears thorns and thistles, then it is a cursed designed to be burned. And so if we don't want to produce thistles, if we don't want to produce thorns, if we want to produce fruit, then once again, we come back to these seven things. And as I say, Peter is inspired by the Holy Spirit. These are not Peter's words. These are actually God's words. God is assuring us, if you will add these seven things diligently, day after day after day, then you are guaranteed, number one, you will see clearly, you will not be barren, you will not be unfruitful, and you will make your calling and election stable and fast and firm because you're never going to stumble. And that's what these seven things can give us as far as uh, growing and developing and making ourselves strong and powerful. You know, Paul talked about this in Ephesians 6, that we are to put on the whole armor of God. And each one of those pieces of armor, if you look closely at it in Ephesians 6, starting about verse 10 and going through verse 18, uh, there is preparation in the gospel and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And, And again, if you look closely at them, 
they're directly tied to the same things that Peter is describing here. And so these are our weapons, and these things can strengthen us and help us to grow in so many wonderful ways. Well, and as we're starting to wrap up at least verse 10, you know, where it talks about be even more diligent, you know, you mentioned the sure, stable, etc. And then I appreciate your expansion of the word stumble. That kind of flies somewhat in the face of the, you know, as we said before, the once saved, always saved, or the impossibility of apostasy. I've heard that kind of a, that complex uh, phrase where they say, you know, it's impossible for a, per, for a you know, saved person to apostatize or, or fall away. I think as you're seeing here, even even in some of these words, uh, we see that that's not the case and why Peter is emphasizing these things just over and over again from so many different perspectives. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think that's very fair. You see, the devil is very active. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul speaks of those whose conscience is seared like a hot iron and they teach doctrines of demons. And I, I really hesitate to uh, impugn the motives. And so I won't impugn their motives because many people do what they think in their own heart is the best way to teach the scriptures. And so not everyone is seared with this hot iron, but these doctrines of demons, uh, to say once saved, always saved, uh, it just flies in the face of so many of the parables that Jesus gave and so much of the teaching. If, if once you're saved, you're always saved, then those Jewish people that he was talking to, and remember, they ultimately killed him because he kept pushing them. He kept telling them, you think you are the sons of Abraham and you think you are the sons of God, but I'm here to tell you that if Abraham were alive right now, he would love me. And if you don't love me, you're going to perish. And so the Jews were so convinced that they were saved and they thought they couldn't be lost because of their tie to Abraham. But Jesus made it very clear that it is not those who have Abraham's blood in their veins, but those who live and trust and act like Abraham did toward God. And so there's so many passages in the book of Hebrews that talks about those once they fall away, it is impossible to renew them to repentance or to renew them to becoming God's people again. And so to teach something that the scriptures are clearly teaching is wrong and clearly teaching is false is paramount or tantamount to becoming one of these people who teach doctrines of demons. And so, once saved, always saved is not true. And, uh, you know, if you are curious about that, I'm sure there's some good articles on the website that would help people to see why these things are false. So, Alan, we come to the last verse in this section that we're studying here in 2 Peter 1 and chapter 11, where it talks about, you know, this entrance that's abundantly supplied. And, of course, you talked at verse 10 about you know, we should work to make our calling and election sure. And how do we do that? And you were just commenting on those on that. Uh, and then, you know, in verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you talk a little bit about that entrance and how it will be supplied to us abundantly? Sure. I think most of us are aware, and if you're not, you could read Matthew 25, the parable of the five wise and the five foolish 
virgins. And so when the bridegroom comes, the ones who didn't have enough oil are forced to leave and go buy the oil. And while they're out trying to get a little bit more oil because they don't have enough, uh, the bridegroom comes and when they return, he says, I don't know you. You weren't here when I got here and you can't come in now. And so they did not have what they needed to enter. I think the same thing is true in the parable of the talents. The one talent man was short. He did not have enough to enter. And so what did Jesus say? Take away the one talent from the man who didn't use it and cast him into the utter darkness. And so when I stand before the Lord on the judgment day, I certainly don't want to hear, uh, Alan, you almost did everything that you needed to do, but I'm sorry to have to tell you that you were not faithful. You did not add to your faith like my servant Peter told you, and you don't have those seven things, and so I I can't allow you to enter. And Jesus says there will be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth when those who thought that they were God's children, you remember he talked about the people in Israel who would see many people entering into the kingdom, but they themselves were cast out into the outer darkness. So it is possible to stumble. It is possible to not have enough to enter. And again, that's what the parable of the five wise and five foolish. The five wise would be likened to these people here in Second Peter who added faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That's the oil that those five wise virgins had. The five foolish virgins didn't have the these seven things, and so they were cast away. And you say, well, how can you make that application? Because that's exactly what Peter says here. Your entrance into the eternal kingdom will be abundantly supplied to you. You will have what you need and more. You will be the kind of person that God wants to spend eternity with and that God wants to say, well done, good and faithful servant to, and who wants to give us eternal life and the resurrection and all of the wonderful blessings. So if we supply the virtue, the knowledge, the self-control, the patience, the godliness, the brotherly kindness and love, that will be enough for God to do everything else. God will richly and abundantly, he will give me the blood of Christ. He will give me the wonderful things that are necessary for him to give me his grace and mercy. So, like I said, these passages, starting in verse 8 and taking us through to verse 11, we learn that if we are doing these things, both our calling, or excuse me, will will not be idle and we will be fruitful, fulfilling the parable of the talents and the vine and the branches. If we lack these things, we are blind. We don't see the eternal realities. Paul said that we look at the things that are not seen. Well, you can't see the things that are not seen without these seven qualities. And then we make our calling and election stable and sure and fast. And and as Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. But we'll be one of those few if we add these seven things to our faith. That's Jesus's, excuse me, that's Peter's promise as inspired by the Holy Spirit. We'll never stumble, and our entrance into the eternal kingdom, like I say, promise after promise after promise, 
if we add these seven things to our faith. And then Peter says, and I won't be negligent to remind you of this as long as I'm alive. So that's why I think this section of scripture is so important. And that's why I love teaching it and I love giving it to people because Peter has promised so much just by doing these seven small steps that that we add these things to our faith. Well, Alan, this has been a very, very fruitful and productive study, a very in-depth study. And Jeff, we we have this material actually that uh, our listeners can download for free on our website. Can you tell them where they might be able to find that? And and, uh, also just for our listeners, everything that Alan talked about, he put together a book, didn't you, Alan, several years ago with the principles that you've taught us in all these lessons. So it's a nice little companion guide that anybody can download for free. That's exactly right. right. And it's already on the website, ready for anybody who would like to use it. And speaking of the website, so if you go to our main page, look under the lessons menu item, you'll find a subsection called Christian Living. Underneath that, you'll find a further subsection called Adding to Your Faith. And that particular page uh, has a couple things, but the biggest one that I would tend to say would be the uh, PDF uh, that uh, Brian mentioned you know, moments ago, a PDF formatted file that has all the kinds of material that we've been going over the podcast, lots of additional scripture references. You can download the entire uh, series as a single PDF or uh, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, broken up into nine sections. Uh, that you can download those individually. And as if that wasn't enough, if you go to our topics menu item, you know, we've hit a large number of different topics in this extended series. Uh, But here are some, for example, that you could dive even more deeper on some specific topics like A for apostasy, C for called of God, as well as C for Calvinism, F for faith, O for obedience, uh, P for predestination, since we kind of touched on that, and Z for zeal. So lots and lots of material that you can further dig into the Bible, dig into the scriptures, not just take our word for it, uh, and research it for yourself, especially if some of the things you've been hearing are odd or different or perhaps even contrary to what your you know, pastor or preacher uh, has been teaching. And, and that's Absolutely. an excellent point, Jeff. And and I think, though, that I don't think that in this particular podcast, we've given that web, website address. So if you'd like to give them that website address so that they can find it. www.biblequestions.org. Excellent. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you, Alan, for a very good series. Uh, any final admonitions or recommendations for our listeners as we wrap up? Well, as I say, uh, Peter said it all. As long as I'm in this tabernacle or this tent, he he looked at his body as just a physical tent that the body would ultimately be left behind, but the soul would enter into heaven. And he said, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to remind you of these things. And, And I feel like the same thing is true. And I hope that no one out there will ever forget. I would really encourage you to memorize these seven qualities and then start working step by step like a garden, like a ladder, 
just adding and adding and adding and the blessings and the benefits that will come to you regarding your ability to see your ability to make your calling and election sure and so i just really like to encourage you to develop these things and again i would encourage you to go to that website there's such good material there any question you have and if you don't find your question answered we actually have a section where you can send that question directly to us and we will get you an answer. Excellent. Thank you so much, Alan. Appreciate that. And to our listeners, uh, please examine all of uh, the different principles that Alan taught and uh, search and apply to your lives. No doubt it'll be beneficial and ultimately it's praiseworthy to God. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.